Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. I was on Hobby Hotline last Saturday with Danny Black and Adam Palmer, Heroes for Sale and Sports Balt. And we had a good time. We talked about several things. This is the segment that was fresh about Albert Pujols' 700th home run ball and the ramifications and implications of that. So thanks, Hobby Hotline. Check out the episode in its entirety, Saturday mornings and Tuesday evenings on YouTube. And here it is. I wanted to talk about all the 52 mantles that have seemed to pop up recently. Evidently, this is now a common card at a PSA 8. So I'm going to run down a couple that have happened recently. Collectible, their shareholders just turned down $1.4 million for a PSA 8. Heritage, as we know, sold the SGC 9.5 for 12.6. Currently, Heritage has a PSA 8 that ends in five days at 1.2 million. In February, they sold a PSA 8 at 1.56 million. And two PSA 8s sold for over 2 million at the end of 2021. There's only 35 PSA 8s. Now, I know there was an SGC in there. I've never seen this many high-grade mantles. Is this the market? Is this people liquidating? Is the card just hot from the 12.6 million? There's no one thing, Danny. It's all the above. Basically, what you've got going here is that cards are clearly underpriced if you don't see them. (laughs) (laughs) So the fact that you're seeing a bunch of them means that people don't perceive that they're just letting them out. These used to be cards. You bought it and you held it. It's no longer a buy-and-hold hobby anymore. No, you can play with statistics. 10% of the PSA 8s that have moved in the last 18 months. Yeah. And we saw also the PSA 9 sell like in 2020 for $5.2 million. There's an opportunity cost that comes along with buying one of those cards. I think exactly like Dr. Becca was saying. If a card's not available, we don't really necessarily know what the price is going to be. When you see one of them sell, I would say people probably bought them at a pretty decent price. If you were buying 2016, 2017, 2018, any one of them sell for a million dollars, I don't know what they bought them for, but I'm assuming they were probably in the 75 to 100K range, if I had to guess just based on where the market has gone on certain cards and cards like that. If someone bought something for $100,000 and they see a price tag that they could potentially sell it for a million, that's just if you're running sports cards as a business, that's good business there. Whether you're 10X, your money or whatever you're doing. I also look at it with the Jordan card, for example. Like the Jordan card has had more sales in the past few years than in like the past 10 years. So when you see such a dramatic increase in certain cards, you have to find someone who's willing to spend $1 million on a card. I don't know how many of those people there are out there. If you are seeing bids of the card as well, go to the mantle right now is at one point. I think it was 1.2 with five days left, yeah. But to Dr. Beck's point real quick, people hold cards. So is this an opportunity for the people that want to hold the cards to get in, and then they're not going to be out in the open for a while? It could also just be that like someone wanted to buy the card and it hasn't come up for a while. So I don't know. If someone's buying a card for a million dollars, they're probably not spending the last million dollars they have in their bank account to buy the card. So they probably look at it as more just opportunity cost. The card doesn't come up for a while. Like if this is the last PSA 8 that sells for 10 years, what's going to be the price of that card in 10 years? I don't think that's the case. I don't think that's what's going to happen. But I just think there's opportunity cost along with buying the card. That's just Especially with cards like that. Again, like I said, it's... Everybody's right and everybody's wrong. The opportunity cost, you have to look at it in a different way. What Danny was just pointing out is that there's one coming up every so often. So if I don't get it this time, I'll get it next time. Even with a great card like that, there's enough of them in the float. Because in the old days, you would say, when am I going to get this card? It's not going to come up for another 10 years. 
but it might not come up for another 10 weeks now because there are people and my contemporaries that have the really great collections. They didn't pay any $100,000 for any card. They paid thousands, not even maybe tens of thousands, hundreds and thousands of dollars, not $100,000 for great cards if you bought them in the 70s or the 80s. Those mantles were going for 3000 bucks 40 years ago. To your point, the SGC mantle came out of a drawer in a screw-down case. That's how you kept a card. Nobody rushed to get graded before grading. I think we're going to find that there's other drawers that still have these cards that were put away because nobody bought them to flip them. And I don't think anybody's buying these to flip these, to be honest with you. Even though they're available, I think people who have never been able to buy this card before are excited to buy a card that a lot of people think is a representative of the hobby. There's a new calculus now that people are thinking, if it's a great card, it's probably going to come available on the horizon. Whereas 30, 40 years ago, you thought, I'm never going to see that card. And now it's in open auction. It's available to the highest bidder on a regular basis. So it's changing. And some of them are going into the collectibles and the some of these other funds that are buying cards and fractionalizing them. But the fact that there's a steady availability of some of these cards, in one sense, it's good. In another sense, it's bad. When you don't see the cards coming available that means nobody's ready to sell, and that's really what can drive the price up. And right now, we could either be talking macroeconomics on liquidity, or we could just be talking about the 52 mantles popular to buy and sell right now. I think coming out of that $12.6 million mantle, a lot of people started going into their drawers again and saying, maybe, maybe now is the time. One of the things that I thought was interesting is the one on collectible, the fractional one that got vetoed, I had a $485,000 IPO in early 21. So it went from 485000 to $1.4 million, and there was still vetoed for the sale. I hope that's a good sign for the hobby, that there's some confidence long-term, or even if it's just the vintage area, that the fear is gone for some of this panic around the hobby the last year or so. I hope this shows some strength. I wish I had the money to buy a 52, yes. I think even with those the high grades too, the 9s or the 10s, I don't know when those will sell again. The 8 may potentially be the most expensive or it may be the only available. Before, it was like the 8's never going to become available. Now it's like the 9's and the 10's, those are in a whole different category. Like I've seen people say that the 10 is worth $100 million on Twitter. I don't necessarily think it's that high, but when the cards don't come up as much, somebody who has the ability to buy the card has the funds to buy that card, and they're seeing so many of them sell. Like They want to get in on the card because who knows at what point do the eights just stop selling? At what point maybe do we stop seeing so many sales? Like I was just looking at Card Ladder, and they have sales data from quite some time. We had one sale in 2015, and then the next was 2019. So I don't know if there was private sales in there that they can't confirm, but those were sales from eBay of this PSA 8. So maybe people are looking at it and saying, what if there's another four-year drought of this card? What's going to happen then? I think it's good that investors on collectible rejected because that means that there's more optimism that they're going to see increases on that card versus the $1.4 million price tag is definitely a flashy kind of number for somebody who got in on that at 400 that's a significant increase in what they initially bought it for so i think it's good that there is optimism that that card there's a, a second reason why people rejected the collectible buyout offer and that is if you owned a few shares then you made a few bucks but once it's sold now you've got some money but you cannot say you have ownership in the card. I don't think it was even a financial decision necessarily for some of those people. And that was enough 
to say, we're not going to sell. If I owned a piece of a Wagner and I got a chance to double my money, but that meant 50 bucks turned into 100, and then I can no longer say that I'm the owner of part of a Wagner or a, a fabulous condition mantle. I think that's what's going on there, Adam. So to, if people interpret it as just that, no, everybody thinks it's going to go a lot higher. I, a lot of people think that, but a lot of people just want to be able to own that, and they don't want to cash in that stock. So it's not like a stock. It's like art that you can hang on your wall. There's an emotional attachment. I definitely agree with that the ownership part of it is definitely a lot cooler than 50 bucks. That's definitely a case too. Are you more reluctant to sell cards out of your personal collection that have a meaning irregardless of the financial return in either direction? Or are there just certain cards that just are yours? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. We're collectors after all. Uh, right. And maybe that's the definition of an investor and a collector. If you're an investor, everything has a price. If you're a collector, some things don't have a price. Personally, I think there were cards I bought that were investments I planned on selling. And those I definitely found were easier to sell than ones that weren't. Dr. Beckett, is there a card you remember specifically the moment you picked it, anything that had that connection to you that you said, this one's never going anywhere? I don't really think of it that way. It's been such a long time since I bought a card. I bought cards. So I buy a group of cards, and there's some of them I like more than others. Certainly the cards of my youth, my father's cards, some cards I got early on, some sets I completed early on that I have a sentimental connection to. Yes, those. But it's been many decades now. A Stallmeyer mantle that I bought probably for 100 bucks 40-something years ago, 45 years ago. It's worth a lot more when I sell it. And nobody lives forever. It'll eventually find a home somewhere else, but probably not while I'm living. I'm from Baltimore. I want to own a Cal Ripken rookie. I want to have a Brooks. And those things, listen, maybe I'll upgrade a grade or something like that, but I always see myself owning that card. I'm going to always have one. That's just going to be a part of my PC no matter what. What is the very last card in your collection you would sell? There's a thousand-way tie. A thousand way time. That's fair. That's what's behind me in my virtual wall. My card wall is about a thousand cards now. I'm going to pare it down, but those are cards I don't intend to sell. It's not as much based on the superstar aspect of the player, but if there's a connection, and many of them were, are great players, but yeah, it's a tie. I don't have uh, just one. Talk about the Albert Pujols 700th home run ball. Now, I've got some different opinions on this, but it sold for. 360,000. Dr. Beckett, more or less than you expected. I think the buyer paid too much. There goes my theory of having a single opinion. I think the opposite. Like, I was surprised it didn't sell for more, but then I did a little bit of research on some of the most expensive baseball memorabilia, and I was surprised that some of the stuff wasn't in the millions. Like, we saw the Jordan jersey sell for 10 million. We saw, like, the Diego Maradona jersey sell for 8 million. We've seen other crazy pricing on stuff sell for amounts that I don't even know who is buying them, to be honest. The 70th home run Mark McGuire ball, I think, sold for $3 million in 98, which is the most expensive now. There's no way that gets $3 million today. No, the list I saw, the, the Second was like a Babe Ruth home run from an all-star game in 1933 that sold for $800,000. So I had flip-flopped on. Like, I thought that they didn't pay, that it wasn't enough. I also get a little nervous. The auction houses need more accountability. Because the Brady ball, for example, the Brady ball sells for whatever it sold for the last touchdown, and then he retires. I don't think Pujols is going to do that, but I understand the auction houses want to make the most on the sale. So selling it when 
you know, it's most newsworthy is obviously going to do that. But at the same time, like, it makes me a little bit nervous. What if Albert Pujols comes back for some reason and he hits more home runs? Sure, it's the 700 home run, but maybe the 703rd home run should be more like his last home run versus the 700. Get the 700 with there only being three other players, the 700 is significant. And maybe that's where it comes in the scenario where, like, the 700 would be safer rather than the 703rd. But I'm hoping Pujols doesn't decide to unretire. I think he signed the retirement paperwork the other day, so I'm assuming the probably won't but that's what happened with the brady ball so it's who knows and that's exactly my point i'd always rather have a player's first or last than a round number to me round numbers make us feel good but i don't know that they carry the same symbolism as home run 755 from aaron i'd rather have that than 700 from aaron and so if he unretires i don't want to buy the ball that's not his last home run but under the non-brady rule where we stay retired after our last ball sells yes i'd rather have first or last and unless it's a significant moment i think that's probably true for tickets also yeah i would agree with that and i think that's why they overpaid on the ball i don't think any modern baseball has ever really gone up in value doing a podcast the music guy talking about card collecting and music there's such a thing as a crescendo in music and a decrescendo where the sound is increasing or decreasing. Here's my support for thinking that the ball, I wouldn't have paid anything close to that. In the healthy market of sports cards, which we have, if it really had enduring value, you could hold on to that 700 ball for six months or a year. Build the interest and keep increasing the interest. And in a year, wow, people would really be excited about getting it. I think not. I think they needed to sell it and auction and promote it while it was still in the news. The enduring kinds of memorabilia and things I'm interested in are going to have enduring value. Any price like that, if it's a round number, that sounds great now because that was the chase, but it's not where he ended up. It's being promoted. You think, is this going to be at top of mind in a year from now? No. Home run 755? Always. Home run 73? Always. If the person that got the ball would have, and probably same thing with Aaron Judge, you need to do it now, not waiting a year. On the other hand, if you had a PSA 10 mantle that you wanted to sell, can you imagine having a farewell tour, auction had it, built up the interest for a year that it was going to be in a platinum auction at the National in the summer, and they would build and build the interest? Would it get to $100 million? I don't know, but that's something where you'd have a crescendo.